All right, so where are we? So we're in the series on David. and um, Okay, so the, what we're going to focus on today is about 15 years of David's life in half an hour. Okay? That's where we're going. We're, we're, we've, we've, we've spoken about how David was anointed, how, how Samuel... Uh, anointed David uh, with oil and the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then that was his anointing for kingship. And, and we've looked at how um, up before that point, the, the man who was the king, Saul, God said to him, I've, ta- I've, ta- I've removed the kingdom from you um, uh, because of disobedience and uh, I guess essentially a really bad heart. God removed it from him said, I've given it to a man after my own heart. Samuel the prophet went and found David and anointed him with oil. And from that moment on, the Spirit of God came on him in power. Um, but then it's about 15 years before he becomes king. It's about 15 years before he actually ascends to the throne. Approximately different timelines on the Bible. We'll put it here or there, but there's margins around it. But around about 15 years. And what I want to do is I want to I talk a little bit about that 15 years because spiritually it's very, very significant. It's, it really is. There's a lot of spiritual gospel insight in that 15 year period for us. So it's very, very relevant for us because essentially what's happening is, is that here's a man who something has begun for him in God, but it's not come to its, it's, not come to its full flower. The, the bud is there. God, God's intention has been made clear. The spirit has come upon him, but he's not ruling and reigning. In fact, the opposite. In fact, things get worse for him. And uh, it's, it's essentially, if you were to sum up those 15 years, you would say they were a pretty bad 15 years for him. They would have been filled with, I'm sure, confusion. They would have been filled with moments of like, what, why on earth is this happening? What, what, was that, what was that anointing with the Spirit? What was that about? Because things are going from bad to worse. And essentially, what, it's an in-between period. And if you, never, if you don't learn as a believer, as a disciple, maybe you're here looking in, thinking about the Christian life. You're not a Christian yet, but you're thinking about it. Let me say to all of you, from mature Christian, to those of you that are looking in, sorry about the, the, the sniffing, it's affected things. So, but um, uh, let me say to wherever you are, wherever you are at the moment, you need to understand about the in-between period. It's very, very important. I want to show you it in David's life briefly. And I want to show you it in Jesus's. And I want to show you in ours as the church. And I want to point to three main things that I felt reminded of as I was preparing about this that were were going on essentially in this in-between period. And the first one is opposition. There is, there is pressure and opposition for, for most of these years. David becomes a man who is hounded by the present king. The present king turns against him. Um, I'll, let's read why. Let's go in our Bibles, um, shall we, to um, 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to be doing a little bit of flicking around through 1 Samuel just to draw out some of the key, the key moments here. You heard about David and Goliath recently. We preached about that the week before last. A wonderful story. And, and saw the gospel through it, saw Jesus in that. But it says in the, here, 1 Samuel 18 verse 6, When David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands. Saul's thinking, yeah, I like these songs. The next line of the song goes like this. And David, his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they've ascribed thousands. 
And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. His eye was on him from that point on. Envy started to grow in his heart. He would have remembered the prophecy from Samuel, God's torn the kingdom from you. It would have been becoming apparent to his eyes, this is the new anointed one. Now at that point, what is the best thing Saul could have done? Step aside. Step aside. There's the anointing. Instead, from that day on, we are told that Saul had his eye on him. <laughs> and then read another passage just to illustrate, um, carrying straight on verse 10. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house. It doesn't mean he had a party. That means that he was angry uh, when his house, while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day, saw had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from him. And essentially what happens for the next few years is, is that Saul hounds him around the country, around the wilderness, around the hill country, from city to city. Um, he, he essentially wants to murder him, wants to kill him. And so David's life, he's a wanted man from this point onward until Saul, years later, is killed in battle until that point, which we'll look at all of that from next week onwards. But this period of time, David is a wanted man. There's a, there's a price on his head. He's anointed, God's called him, God's purpose for him is certain, he's in the will of God, but it's not easy. It's the in-between period. There's opposition, there's resistance, there's attempts to derail what God wants to do, there's attempts to kill this anointed one, this anointed king. So there's opposition. The second thing is, is there's friendship. There's friendship. And ironically, the friendship David has in this situation is with the son of the man who's trying to kill him. This is a very, very complicated relational situation. Are you in a complicated relational situation? Have you come in here today thinking, how am I going to solve this family issue, relational issue? This is complicated. This is very complicated. I love one of the things that was so wonderful about the Bible is it doesn't skate over the complex and awkward matters. This is a very awkward situation. But let's have a look. Um, we're going to go chapter 18 again. David's been speaking um, to, to King Saul. It's just before, it's just after um, he's, killed, um, he's killed Goliath. And um, it's all been seen. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 18, as soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, that's Saul's son, listen, listen to this, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Wow. There's nothing clinical about the Bible. There, there's nothing... There's nothing cold about the Bible. They're oh, so human. Jonathan, in, 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 the, in the purest, uh, non-sexual way, falls in love with this man. He just loves him. And listen to this. And Saul took, him, took David that day and would not let him return to his father's house. So look at what Saul is doing. The insecure man, it's all about... Taking, isn't it? It's all about taking. Oh, here's, the, here's an impressive one. I'll have him for me because he'll make me look good. I'll have him, I want him around. Next verse. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David 
because he loved him as his own soul. Said it again. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armour and even his sword and his bow and his belt. It's like, mate, you're the man. See, Jonathan can see the anointing of God on him. Later on in the story, he says it's clear and obvious that God has anointed you to be shepherd of Israel. This is the son of the current king. He just sees the hand of God on him. He sees the anointing. He sees the beauty of God resting on him. And he says, I am with you, David. And I will give you everything that I've got. It's a wonderful and it's an extraordinary friendship that is so, so precious to David. When David hears of Jonathan's death, Jonathan and Saul die together in battle because here's the interesting thing. It's a whole sermon in itself, but we can't do it today. Jonathan remains David's best friend as well as a loyal son to Saul. It's extraordinary. He walks it. And if you've ever wondered, how do I remain absolutely committed to the anointed King Jesus and yet loyal and devoted to those who are in my life that don't like my absolute commitment to Jesus, Jonathan's the one to watch. Jonathan's, read through, read through. It's stunning. Jonathan is so loyal to his father that he, 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 they end up dying in battle pretty much together in the same battle, even though his father's gone way off, way off track by then. But listen to the way that David describes um, Jonathan. When, when David hears of the death of Saul and Jonathan, he, he laments them. He writes, this, he writes this lamentation and uh, even, even sings about Saul and says these amazing things about Saul. You think, wow, what a big heart. But listen to Jonathan. He, he, listen to what he says about Jonathan in verse 25 of 2 Samuel chapter 1. So 2 Samuel chapter 1, two verses, verses 25 and 26. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. This is, this, this is the kind of friendships God can bring into your life. This is the kind of, friend, the kind of soulmates God can bring into your life. It's just, wow. And, and essentially what Jonathan did was, Jonathan was, Jonathan's dad at certain points turned on him because when Jonathan knew for sure that his dad was going to kill David, he said, he is going to kill you, you need to run. And he saved his life. And even though they didn't get much chance to see one another because Dave, Jonathan would have been with Saul most of the time and, and David couldn't have been there, there was just this bond between them. And sometimes it's not how often you see each other, but it's this one-heartedness. And you know you're both about the same thing together. It's friendship. Stunning. And then the third thing is what I would describe as a coming together of unimpressive people whom God gathers to his anointed king. So if we just read um, back to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 22. The first two verses. David's on the run at this point. He's running here. He's running there. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. <laughs> and he became captain over them. What a wonderful task. And, <laughs> and there were with him about 400 men. 
This is his rabble. This is his army. This is his motley crew. This is who God is gathering to him. And David becomes their captain. So there's this gathering in. Even while all the madness is going on, all the confusion, people are starting to gather to him. They recognise the anointing on him. And then as time goes on, even before he gets to the throne, it then moves and changes. And it talks about others coming to join him with faces like lions and who could bend the bow with left hand and right hand. But this is where it starts. And David says, you know what? Fine. I'll be your captain. David doesn't start by saying, what are we going to do with you lot? So I'll be your captain. They gather to him because of the anointing on him. And he can, he can hold them together because of the anointing on him. It's the anointed king. And it's a season of incredible... You must please... What you must do is enter into the disorientation and the confusion and the pressure of the situation. And even the things that David has to do in certain situations that everyone's looking on going... We don't know if this is right or wrong. It's a narrative. God doesn't say this is right, this is wrong. But it's just a bit like, what's he going to do? So at one point, he, um, he's about to be, he's about to be um, taken into like a city on the side of those who are against him. I mean, he's on the run. And so he pretends to be mad. And he starts dribbling down his beard and going and back like a crazy man um, because he's thinking, how, am I, how, how can I stop these guys from wanting me in their city? And the king says, we've got enough madmen in this city. We don't leave them alone. And you think... David, were you trusting God when you did that? I don't know. Was it just, David, just, just practical and thought, oh, I don't know what to do. It's just it's dribble, dribble and act mad. Was, it, was he a bit, was he wavering his trust of God? Or, we don't know. We don't know. It's hard to know. But he's, he's got to do what he's got to do. Why? Because life's not perfect. Life's not ideal. And sometimes you just find yourself there and you think, well, I don't know what God's saying. I'm not going to sin, but I'm doing this and I hope it's all right. It's life's like that sometimes. Sorry, folks. It just is. It just is. Other times his family all got kidnapped and, and all this lot turned against him and wanted to stone him to death. I told that he went away and he strengthened himself in God and he came back and said, this is what we're going to do. He made a decision. Another time he has to escape. He's got no armor on him. He goes into he goes into uh, um, the sort of the tabernacle place where the priests are, and and, and he, he needs a weapon. But all we've got is Goliath's sword. Now well, I'll have Goliath's sword. And you think, just a little while ago, you know, you sort of you chopped off the giant's head with this sword. This sword represents fleshly power, and you know, it's, you had your stones and your sling. And now, are you are you wavering? Are you starting to lean into things because you're panicking? Who knows? In, in the midst of all of that kind of what you might want to call a, I don't know, like a, a bandwidth of behaviour that's not, it's, it's not obviously really spiritual. It's not sin. It's just kind of like, what is it? God's like, you're in my will. I've got you. Because I understand that life is messy. I understand that life is messy. Things go on that you can't plan for. And, you know, you, and you, yes, you've you got treasure, but you're in, a, you're in a jar of clay. You're trying to figure it out. And I understand, you know, God knows God knows. And you can get so perfectionist and caught up in things. You're just absolutely paralysed. And that's not a healthy place to be. Sometimes things come against you. You say, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Afraid. I've asked counsel. I don't know what to do. I've just got to do something. That or that. So go, I'll do that. I hope it's all right. <laughs> Sometimes it's like that. It just is. Now, quickly, I want to show you in Jesus, because Jesus had an in-between period before he got baptised. The anointing of the Spirit came on him for the task. 
But he didn't ascend to the throne until after he was raised from the dead and he ascended to the throne where he was given all authority in heaven and on earth. And, and so for Jesus, the in-between period was the three years of his ministry. He knew what he was about. He knew God's hand was on him. He did extraordinary things. But you can see these same three things. You can see opposition, constant opposition to Jesus, the true anointed king, by leaders, worldly leaders, Pontius Pilate, religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees, who knows what leaders, King Herod. Just all kinds of different leaders built on envy, insecurity, fear, try, destroy the anointed king. From the time he was a baby, right the way through, attempts on his life, opposition. Jesus said, the student is not above his master. If they hated me, they will hate you. That's what he said. That's what he experienced. Opposition and resistance. Man of sorrows. Anointed with joy above all of his companions, but man of sorrows. Anointed with joy above all his companions, but man of sorrows. How do you do that? That's who Jesus, that's how the Bible describes him. Fierce opposition. Friendship. Just before the cross, he says, to, he says to Peter, James and John, he says, my soul is grieved to the point of death. Stay with me. Remain with me. John was able to lean his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper and ask him, who's the one who's going to betray you, Lord? There's this intimacy, there's this there's friendship. Even for Jesus, God provides. In the disciples, in the 12, there's the three. There's the three, friends. There's an inner circle of friends. It's not wrong, it's not... It's not God being partial, but there's friendship there for Jesus. There's a closeness there. There's just, there's a, sometimes it's all the 12, sometimes it's the 72, sometimes it's the crowd, sometimes it's the three. We'll go up the mountain with you three. Just you three. We're going to go up and do this together. There was something going on there, closeness. See in Jesus' life. And then we also see a gathering, a coming together of unimpressive people whom God is gathering to Jesus. I mean... Please understand the disciples weren't very impressive. It's one of those things to learn here week after week. Not, not, not that they were like really bad, they were probably just normal, but they're just normal guys. Just normal guys. But there was a political zealot in there. There was one in there who, given the slightest you know, chance, would have slit a Roman's throat. He was in there. There was a tax collector in there working for the Romans. They're going to be interesting dynamics, aren't they? In that group, in that small group. Sometimes we get really worked up in our small group. Oh no, someone said something someone else didn't like. Come on, hold on a minute. Reality check. You've got a political zealot in there. They're ready to rise up against the Romans. And this guy's been employed by the Romans and has been um, screwing over the Jews financially in order to do so and lying in his pockets. Jesus calls them together into the same band of disciples. How's that going to work? Well, we're gathered to the anointed king. Primarily, not to one another. As we do that, then we'll, we'll find one another. There's the other guys, it's fishermen, just normal folks. Just normal folks. They gather to him. Why? They, say, they see God is on him. God's hand is on this man. He is the Messiah. How can he hold them together? He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And so we see these things in his life, in Jesus' life. He, he, he understands what the in-between period feels like. He knows what it's like to live in pressure. He knows what it's like to say, do you know what, we're going to hang around in Galilee for a while because if I go to Judea, they'll kill me and it's not time for me to die yet. So we're going to hang around north for a while. That's just part of his life. Just read, read, read the Bible, and, but don't filter it. <laughs> just read it. It's all there. It's all the information is in there explicitly. 
us now. We'll just finish on this. The church. <laughs> it's the church's season of now and not yet. If you're a believer in Christ, you have been you have been enthroned with Jesus, yes. But your feet are still well and truly on the earth. Am I right? <laughs> so it's true, but it's not fully realized. It's true. We're anointed with the Spirit. We know what it is now to know God. Now when we're praying, we're not groping around in the dark, just saying God and hoping if there's one out there, he'll hear us. We know who we're talking to. Even though we don't see him, we believe in him and we rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to understand this is who this God is, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We know him. He lives in us by his Holy Spirit. We are not who we were. We've been brought out. He's got this treasure in us now, but it's in this jar of clay. We don't, our, our inner man is being renewed day by day, but our outer man is decaying. That's what we live in. That's the period, the season we live in. As was so brilliantly articulated earlier, his, his kingdom has, has been inaugurated, but it's not yet been consummated. But the wonders and the glories of his kingdom should be breaking into our life in this earth now. But we don't expect it to be utopia. There will be setbacks. There will be resistance. There will be battles. That's the in-between period. That's what it is. And then, and then when things go wrong or when opposition comes or when things get stressful or pressurised, it's not like someone's pulled the rug out from under your feet. You just say, it's to be expected. It's to be expected. What, what, what were we expecting? And then when things happen that you weren't ready for, you don't get totally crushed by it. So all the political stuff that's going on in the last few years, it's been, wow, I mean, who would have thought it? <laughs> last few years, it's been quite interesting, is not it? It's been fascinating watching the whole thing develop and, you know, the reality of the impact of these things. All of us, one way or another, have felt it here, felt it there, whether it's kind of financial or whatever. All of us, we've been impacted by it. You think, wow, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that my hope and trust is in the government of Christ. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. I, there's no hung parliament in heaven. It's like, it's, do you know what I mean? It's, I'm not, you know, so I'm engaged in it. Let's, let's pray into it. Let's care about it. But it's not where our ultimate hope is. So when we turn up on a Sunday and when we, when we fellowship and gather, we're not all sitting there thinking, what are we going to do now? We know what we're going to do now. We're going to honour the king. Because he is the king. And this isn't some out there ethereal thing. It's the government of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is where the world is going. He's been exalted as king of the earth. Acknowledged by the father. Appointed by the father. Worshipped by angels. Every knee one day will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Some joyfully, some through gritted teeth. But it will happen. Every knee and every tongue. So we can be a confident people. Do not throw away your confidence, the Bible says. It will be richly rewarded. And so I don't even know what point I'm on of the three. But we're living in the in-between. Opposition, right? Listen, David was opposed out of envy. Jesus was opposed out of envy. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let the reality of the anointing of the Holy Spirit of your life shine. Do not be ashamed of the fact that you are not anxious. Do not be ashamed of the fact that you are joyful. Do not be ashamed of the fact that you live in peace. Do not be ashamed of that. Let it shine. If it ruffles some feathers, if it creates some envy, let it be. 
we must not dull down and pretend to be carrying the same weights and burdens that everyone else is that doesn't have our hope because we don't want to be perceived in a certain way. If you're going to shine for Jesus, you will be perceived in a certain way. Just do it well, do it graciously, do it humbly, do it lovingly, do it with a servant heart, but let your light shine. What a moment we live in to demonstrate that we are not knocked off course by this stuff. Genuinely confident, genuinely not alarmed, genuinely able to just trust that God is working out his purposes through all these things that go on. Let your light shine. If people envy you, pray for them, bless them, love them. But don't don't extract everything every enviable quality from your life. It's who we are. He's done a a rise and shine for your light has come. Wow. So praise God. Now's the time for the church to to shine out what it's like being under the government of Jesus. To talk about it. Use the word, if it helps, use the word government more than kingdom. I've started doing that now. Because everyone's using the word government. It suddenly makes people understand I'm not just, I'm not in escapist mode. I'm not, oh yeah, but I believe in the kingdom of God. And it just sounds like surreal. I'm talking about the government of Jesus. That's where my hope is. So, opposition. The second thing is friendship. We all long for and need human intimacy. I'll say that again. We all long for and need human intimacy. Adam's walking with God in the garden. There's no sin. Everything's perfect. And God's assessment is he's alone. Hear that. God's assessment of this man who has perfect communion with God is he's alone. He needs someone. God's assessment. It's not dishonoring to God. It's God's assessment. We need human intimacy. We need relationships. We need close relationships in our life. Thank God for the wonder and the beauty of happy marriages. They're wonderful, beautiful, life-giving things and they must be built on friendship and Jesus if they're going to last the course. And we want to, as the Bible says, let the marriage bed be honoured among all. We want to so honour marriage in this church and the wonderful friendship that God is looking to build in marriages. Praise God. Praise God for the family of God which is the context whereby very, very close, lifelong, intimate, rich friendships will be built that are not just marriages. Rich, deep, lifelong, brother, sister, pure friendships. Where our guard is down, where we're able to be who we are, where we're able to know and be known. Thank God for that. It's so important that we, that we pursue that. It's so important that we, that, we, that we have our eyes open to that and that when God knits your heart to someone else's, as with Jonathan and David, that you just work, how, what does this look like? Let's do this well. Let's do this purely. And everything just gets turned sexual so quickly in our society and they don't understand intimacy without sexual activity. And it's just, we need to just say, hold on a minute, come on. Hold on a minute. Thank God for covenantal sexual fulfillment within marriage. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. Thank God we're sexual beings and all of that. But you know what? God provides relationships that are not sexual, but that are deeply fulfilling, deeply enriching, deeply life-changing, deeply protecting. And it's important that we invest there. And that if you hit some bumps in the road that you 
talk about it well and treat one another respectfully and talk gently through it so that your friendship can go stronger and better as a result. You don't just move away from one another. We learn how to do that. Brothers and sisters, let's model good relationships. It's part of God's protection for us while we live in the in-between pressure, opposition, confusion, attack, spiritual warfare. It matters. It matters. And the final thing is the, I want to end on this, this coming together of unimpressive folks whom God gathers to his anointed king. You know, many of you will know that the, one of the main prophetic words we started this church with, God gave it to us on a number of occasions independently, was it would be like the cave of Adullam. Those who are in distress, those who are in debt, and those who are discontented will come to you and there will be that healing and turning into an army. And we've lived with it and we've loved it. And, we've, and, and so people that have turned up and have been struggling, some people's wounds are really obvious. Some people come in and they're, they're in big trouble on all kinds of levels. Other people, they look the part, but you, when you get to know them, you, they just, you realise, wow, there's been some injury there. There's been some, some th- tough things going on there. You're, you look like you're running, but you're limping. You know. And uh, I just want to say, you know, being a, one of the pastors here, privileges of getting on the inside track with many of you and hearing your stories. And I just say, wow. God is doing it. <laughs> God is doing it. It's, this is, this, we are living in the midst of fulfilled prophecy. We are living in the midst of it. And, um, you know, I, do, I, I just want to say to those of you that particularly, I didn't know whether to do this or not, but I'm going to do it, blow it. <laughs> I want to just, uh, if, if you just know that one way or another, one way or another, that when you join this church, one way or another, you are either discontented or you were in debt. Or you were in distress of some sort. But the Lord has brought some healing to you in some way as a result of being connected in here. I want to ask you to stand where you are. Oh, that's even a pleasant surprise for me. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to just uh, bless you guys. I wanted to just say uh, um, what an honour it is for us to have you among us because you are the fulfilment of prophecy for us. And that's a very special thing. You're more than that, but you are that. You are the fulfilment of what God has spoken and promised to us. And uh, to have you with us is not, it, it's, it's like, it's, you're the dream team. And I'm not, it's not flattery. It's, it's honest. It's true. It's gospel. It's what God does. And, you know, I know I speak on behalf of Rich in, in, in the sense as, as elders here of just saying that we, we love you guys. And we, we love seeing you getting healed up. We love seeing you getting stronger. We love seeing you getting, finding your place in the body. You know, where so many people have struggled. Where do I fit? Could I ever fit in a church? Do you know what? You have a place in the body of Christ. And you have a place in the body of Christ. And it's a place where you will be fruitful, where you will be happy, where you, where you will be fulfilled, where you will just know, yeah, God, is, God, is, God has got me here. And so I just want to really honour you honour you and bless you and say well done for getting through whatever seasons you've got through and holding on to Jesus. Well done for daring to step over the threshold of another church <laughs> and think, oh, I'll give it one more go. Well done for doing that because there's commitment to, to God's design for the church and also want to charge you to become all that God ha- ha- calls you to be. Not, not in a pressurised way, but to charge you to, to not hide, to not have any, to, to throw off shame, to throw off any sense of, oh, you know, I couldn't possibly, or do you know where I've come from? Do you know where I've come from? Just me and McDonald's yesterday. <laughs> right. do, you, do you know what? Like, throw it off because you belong here. 
You belong here. And this church is not about trying to get everyone to fit into a mold. It's about trying to work out where has the Holy Spirit placed you in Christ's body? Let's get you there so that the life flows. So please hear that. And on a heart level, I know that we honour you. So bless you guys. We love you. Thank you very much. Right, so I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to finish now by, um, we're going to praise the Lord. We're going to break bread. We're going to drink wine. Because, you know, all of, the, all of the glory, all of the wonder, all of the healing, all of the redemption, you think, where, where did all this come from? It all flows from one place. It flows from Calvary. It flows from the place where Jesus made that decision, right? He wasn't, he wasn't forced into it. He made that decision to bear in his body the sins of the world. I can't begin to imagine what he experienced. He is awesome, isn't he? he wow, Lord, I, I shirk a thing. I don't want to go there. It looks a bit dark. He went to the darkest place for us. The Father sent him. He came gladly. The Spirit empowered him and he gave himself for us. And then he was risen from the dead three days later as a demonstration that this man is indeed the Son of God. This man is indeed all that he said he was. God has vindicated him. Death could not hold him. He is risen. He is the Lord of all. He's been ascended, enthroned. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. He is waiting to come again. Do you know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for the bride to come to maturity. He's waiting for his bride, the church, to come to that place where when they join together in marriage, it's a decent fit. (laughs) You think, yeah, yeah, that works. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, good. Yeah, both glorious, absolutely devoted to one another. Both just, just, just the picture of one another. Both connected in into that's that, that's what he's waiting for, and so that's what he's doing. He's perfecting us by his spirit. He's working on us. He's ironing out the creases. He's making us beautiful. Amen. So as we break bread, we're gathering back. There. We're saying thank you, Jesus, that it all sources from that place to your brokenness. You've made us whole. So as we sing, let's do that with all of our hearts. Let's stand to our feet, and if you want to know Jesus, you tell him, and he will hear you. If you let him be the leader of your life and you tell him, he will come and he will live in you and he will fill you with his spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Come and use the space. Sing. Do what we do.